Hello, it's Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Stooley. Uh, to begin today's show, I'd like to ask the listener to use the memory part of his uh, and or her brain. Go back to October 9th, 1996. The place is Yankee Stadium. It's game one of the ALCS between the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Yankees. The Yankees are losing... Uh, 4-3 in the bottom of the 8th, and a very young Derek Jeter, in fact, a rookie Derek Jeter, batting ninth in the Yankees lineup, comes to the plate. Armando Benitez is pitching, and then this happens. In right field, Tarasco going back to the track, to the wall. And what happens here? He contends that a fan reaches up and touches it. Richie Garcia says no, it's a home run. Here comes Davey Johnson out to argue as Jeter comes across to tie the game. Of course, the young fan who caught that ball uh, from Tony Tarasco's grasp, the young man, uh, at that point a 12-year-old man by the name of Jeffrey Mayer, our guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, is in fact that same Jeff Mayer. And what follows, I asked Jeff, of course, uh, about the incident, his uh, subsequent relationships with Tony Tarasco and Yankees fans generally. We also learned that Jeff Mayer is the all-time leader in hits for this team. Find out which team to find out a number of other things about Jeff Mayer. Stay tuned. here. He contends that a fan reaches up and touches it. But Richie Garcia says no. It's a home run. My guest, as I've mentioned uh, today on Fangraphs Audio is none other than uh, the the famous or uh, potentially if you're in Baltimore, infamous uh, Jeff Mayer. Jeff, you there? Yes, I am. Good. How's it going, Carson? It's going very well. And that's victory number one that you're there at all. <laughs> um, I should I should note to our listeners that uh, one quality I've learned about you already is that you're patient um, because we had some technical difficulties and you handled them with what I believe can only be referred to as a plum. So oh, I appreciate that. You just have to pass that information along to my wife. Yeah, we can uh, maybe I, do I submit that? Is there a formal document or is it just like a handwritten? Situation. That's right. I, it's probably a three-page, requires legal review, all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, so, all right. So the reason that people will know your name, the reason that probably 95% of our listeners know your name is because you very famously, uh, and I believe I believe you admit to this, but maybe you don't, uh, you reached over the uh, wall at Yankee Stadium Game 1 of the 1996 ALDS was it the ALDS or CS? Oh, the CS. The CS, yes. Even even worse for the well, for the others. <laughs> and uh, you you um, you caught a ball uh, struck by Derek Jeter, uh, making it a home run. Uh, although you probably stole it from Tony Tarasco's grasp. Is that are these close to facts? Is that? It sounds like a. Uh, it sounds like you have more of a uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line view on the events. But, <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. Well, no, no. I actually, I'll tell you what view I have. It's the view of a person who was born and raised in the Boston area. 
Ah, there you go. So that's so, so I'm not. I don't necessarily care for Baltimore. It's just that it's just a uh, a long and seething dislike for uh, for New York. But I'm interested. Uh, I'm interested. I'm sure you've given this report a number of times, and I don't necessarily have any interest in you repeating yourself ad nauseum. But I, if you could, what's your sort of rote recap of the event, or the unwrote recap? Either way. Yeah, I mean, I was a 12 year old at the game uh, with uh, with some friends uh, of the family. And like any 12-year-old, I brought my glove, and uh, I happened to be a 12-year-old that was uh, somewhat of an adept Little League player. Uh, and so naturally, uh, when I saw the ball in the air, instinct took over, and I ran down to uh, to, the, to the fence, uh, although I, I can't remember the, the exact play-by-play, and uh, I suppose uh, did my uh, did my best to uh, to go for the ball. And uh, you know, I, really at the time there there were no uh, no restrictions for, for as far as accessing that point, uh, and uh, I think I uh, just acted in the same way that uh, the majority of uh, of kids and adults, for that matter, would have done. Right, and then you and you caught this ball. Now, so do you? So what? Your take on the degree to which you you reached over? Uh, I mean, do do you think that the? Because video evidence would suggest that. If Tarasco wasn't going to catch it, he was at least going to be pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you know I've seen the the replay a bunch, and I've actually had the opportunity to uh, to speak with Tony uh, Tarasco uh, uh, since then. I, I met him in in uh, the summer of 2002, and uh, you know we we had a, a pretty cordial conversation. And, and my opinion is that it probably would have been a double, uh, and that I think the following batter Tim Raines hit a single, so that run would have scored nonetheless. Uh, he uh, he of course has a, a different opinion on the matter, but uh, it, it, w- it was nice to be able to uh, have the opportunity to speak with him and, uh, and clear the air, so to speak. Yeah, well, actually, I sort of uh, on our kind of interior uh, Twitter situation, essentially, or interior message board, I asked anyone uh, among the members of Team Fangraphs if they had questions for you, and one of the members did ask um, whether Tony Tarasco had other. Uh, Either threatened you or or performed bodily violence upon you. <laughs> no, he was uh, he was a complete gentleman. No, he uh, he uh, he actually was a guest speaker at a at a baseball camp I was working uh, for for kids uh, in the summer of 2002, and uh, our director at the time uh, had access to an inside source at the Mets, and uh, I think the options were uh, either Timo Perez uh, or or Tony Tarasco to come speak. Uh, and uh, Timo Perez was certainly a popular player at the time. Uh, he didn't speak a lick of English, so <laughs> Tony Tarasco uh, was the obvious choice. Uh, and it was probably 15 minutes before he got there that you know we were actually told that this is who was coming. And, and a bunch of the guys I was working with uh, were like, "Hey, uh, hey, Greg, don't you know that Jeff has a little bit of a, a past with uh, <laughs> with Tony, as if he was like an ex-girlfriend or something?" Yeah, yeah. But. Uh, he uh, he came in and, and and he had a big smile on his face and and we signed some uh, some items for the kids together and he uh, he, he was a real nice guy um, you know had heard that uh, that I was a pretty decent high school player and uh, you know spoke uh, spoke very uh, very nicely of the whole situation and definitely gave me the impression that uh, now that he was able to look back on it you know six years later that. Hey, I, I probably would have done the same thing had I been in your shoes, and uh, and he does, and he certainly didn't place any blame on my so, uh, you know shoulders, uh, maybe some on the umpires, but well, that actually <laughs> but, seems to be more the case, right? Is because you said it, it's like you don't necessarily know what happened from 
Um, and I sort of I get what you're saying. Like you say, instinct took over. Like you saw the ball in the air, and then through means that you're not entirely sure of, you ended up with your glove hanging out over the wall. I mean, that, is that basically how it went down for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're when you're playing the game and you're at shortstop, you don't necessarily think about the six steps you have to charge in on a on a chopper, you know, up the middle. You you just go and you do it, and and your body instinctively, uh, because it's it's accustomed to to playing, has has done that so many times. And you know, as a uh, you know as a fan, I think it's a very similar reaction. I mean, how many times have we? Uh, been to a game and and there's a there's a high fly ball to you know straightaway center field and the fans all you know oh ah make that reaction as though it's going to be a home run and right. uh, you know I think that that's that's a fairly natural instinct for anyone who's uh, attended a game as a fan or anyone who has uh, you know played the game as a player and, and I think that you know looking back on it uh, sure it it definitely uh, it definitely wasn't a a typical home run, uh, but at the same time, I think it, it's really at the discretion of uh, you know the the six umpires that are on the field to get together and make the right call, um, and uh, and naturally they've since amended the game to include instant replay, which I'm not not a big fan of, but uh, as a player or a fan, uh, but you know that's uh, that's sort of their solution to that problem. Yeah, and so so there was you, and then there's also Richie Garcia, who. Who probably deservedly, at some level, took kind of the brunt of this. Now, without instant replay, he's calling it um, in the moment, you know, so he doesn't have the uh, the benefit of instant replay. But that seemed to be where most of the anger was directed. Uh, did you ever sort of follow Garcia's story after that? Uh, I think he was involved in a. Wasn't he involved with an umpire strike and and actually was out of the game for quite some time and. Yeah. Uh, Maybe had made a couple cameos in some movies, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, you know. At, at the end of the day, uh, they're they're the ones. The umpires are the ones who uh, who definitely uh, are in control on the field, uh, be it uh, you know good or bad. And, and as a player myself, I know I've definitely uh, I've definitely been on the other side of calls where I. Uh, have not been particularly pleased uh, with, with what was called in the field, and and certainly as a fan, I felt that way too. And, and that's just part of the beauty of the game. I mean, that's what makes the game uh, so perfect is that it's imperfect. So now, now we've we've gestured uh, a little bit towards towards your own uh, baseball playing, and I want to get to that momentarily. Um, what what are the sort of I think interesting qualities of your story, or the interesting aspects of it, is that you were you were basically like probably a lot of other fans in the stadium in that you were a, a Yankees fan. I think you're from New Jersey, is that right? Correct. Yeah. You're from New Jersey, you're a Yankees fan, um, and you obviously want to see them win. Uh, and it's also, this is a club at this point, the 1996 Yankees were a team um, that hadn't won the World Series in, I guess, uh, 18 years. Uh, 1978 was, and so it's a team that's kind of proud but also didn't really have much on its current resume I guess as far as <laughs> victories um, which I you know made them desperate and of course you know the last whatever uh, 15 years or have been pretty kind to them but up till that point uh, there was a lot of there was a drought uh-huh. um, it also happens to be you know, the giganticest market in baseball and at this point you so you found yourself at the center of it you kind of a normal dude 
in the middle of a pretty extraordinary situation. And I'm kind of interested in like in, in how that manifested itself. I know that there were like all, there were post game interviews, but like how long did that last, and, and in what forms did it take? The sort of the celebrity of being the right guy in the right place at the right time. No, I mean to be honest, I don't think it's. It hasn't stopped. Uh, perhaps you know uh, it's not it's not at the level that it was or the decibels that it, that it was at when uh, when it first occurred. But I mean, I was uh, I was asked to uh, to go down to Yankee Stadium uh, just last month to do a reenactment for the uh, the Bob Costas uh, uh, Al Michaels uh, were were calling a game out in the, the Mets versus uh, the the, uh, the Giants, I believe, and and they were looking to you know, hone in on some of the, the great calls that those two had made. And, and of course, Bob Costas was uh, was calling that game, uh, the game that I was involved in. And so I, I just got asked to go down there last month. And, uh, you know, those those types of requests are, are definitely far and, and few in between. Um, but uh, certainly I think it still is something that resonates uh, and something that still does uh, that does come up from time to time. Uh, and I've definitely learned to embrace it and, and sort of just uh, – you know, accept that hey, this is something that happened. It's part of my past. It's part of the Yankees' past, and uh, and I, I've learned to uh, to try and uh, I guess use it to my advantage uh, and and help me uh, from time to time. You know, with uh, with networking and uh, and trying to uh, uh, trying to enhance my career and, and, and such. Yeah. Well, so did it ever get did it ever become a pain in the ass, or was it always uh, mostly pleasant? Uh, I think when it first happened, it was a little bit of a pain in the ass. Uh, you know, to to sort of, uh, it's a little invasive as a 12-year-old when you, you you know you can't go to school without reporters uh, being outside and and you can't come home. You have to hide in the back seat of your mom's car uh, in order to uh, to make it seem as though you're not in the car that's pulling into the driveway. And uh, there were certainly some some uh, some outrageous offers to uh, to do commercials and to do uh, you know movies and to take trips to Japan for uh, you know to do some kind of a show, and uh, you know, I, I definitely uh, place a lot of credit uh, on my parents for um, you know for for putting a stop to that and, and really helping me to uh, to get back to as normal uh, a life as I, I could as a as a 12 year old um, that was thrust in front of the media spotlight. Yeah, that seems to be. I mean, just sort of like having an anecdotal understanding of those situations when you know when when you become part of history in a way that. You don't necessarily anticipate. You know, it's not. It. I mean, it's different than being Derek Jeter, who was a baseball player his entire life. And, right. You know, you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a kid with baseball skills at this game, and now I'm famous. Like, it seems like there could be things that go wrong with that. But it's cool that. I mean, how did your parents do that? Is it just like a question of being like, no, 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 this is, this is not what we're doing. We're not well, sending you to Japan <laughs> or anything like that. I think yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, my uh, I was I came from a, a real a real great family. Um, you know, we always had a very strong uh, strong family values and uh, and good relationships with one another. And I think that they realized that this could go one of two ways. You know, this could uh, this could serve as something that uh, is the highlight of your life, or this could just be uh, a little. Um, you know, just a little blip in your life, and and you have to create, you know, your your life and and your breaks in life. And I think that, um, you know, we we decided to take the latter of the two. And uh, you know, there was an interesting quote, and I've since had this opportunity to speak with him. Uh, Tony Kornheiser at the time had said, you know, this is the pinnacle of this young man's life, and it's all downhill from here. 
And I think, if anything, uh, it was uh, an opportunity to um, to really grow as a person uh, and to uh, to grow socially and and to grow. Um, you know, I guess uh, from a maturity standpoint as well, and I think that's how my parents and I viewed it, and I think that uh, it's really just served as a, um, you know, as just a, a stone in the path, and, and it's something that uh, I can look back on as a, as, a, as a learning experience and a growing experience, uh, but it certainly uh, is not a key factor in, in who I am and who I've become and who I will be. Did you, did, have you ever had... Uh, I mean, what, what do you think is the strangest or or scariest or weirdest interaction you've had when someone finds out who you are, um, or, or that you know that you're connected to this incident? I did have uh, a couple of uh, death threats, believe it or not, when I was 12. That came through email, and the email had uh, not not email uh, <laughs> email. God, that's 15 years ago. What, what was that? Uh, no, through uh, you know through snail mail, and uh, and we had to have the police screen our mail for quite some time. Um, but I, I do find sometimes you know people definitely get very excited. Um, some people get very excited. Some people not so much. I certainly don't go out of my way wearing a name tag that says, "Hey, I'm the kid who caught the ball <laughs> in, in the." in the Yankee game but well you know I, I do appreciate that for some people uh, it, it's it's exciting and it's unique and and, and it, it's exciting for them and uh, it, it kind of brings them back to where they were at that point and uh, you know especially when you're a young baseball fan watching the game and, and I definitely uh, embrace that and try and uh, you know have as candid a conversation with uh, with someone as I can because uh, if they're sincerely interested or uh, sincerely excited to, to talk about it. I certainly don't want to come across as uh, too good to be doing that. Um, and, and one thing, uh, one more thing, a question that sort of uh, interests me as long as we're talking about this particular incident is um, sort of the, the most other, uh, the other most famous uh, sort of uh, fan ball catching incident in recent memory is the Bartman incident, Steve Bartman incident. The 2003 playoffs with the Chicago Cubs, and it's strange because at some level, you're like the anti-Bartman. Yep. <laughs> uh, Bartman is is uh, basically university rev- universally reviled by his uh, by his fan base. Yep. Where, whereas you have the the pleasure in in a not incredibly different setting, and in, in probably we can imagine uh, that Bartman was probably acting on similar instincts to you. Um, although maybe you have thoughts on that, but 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 his uh, sort of uh, the outcome of his uh, of that incident was obviously considerably different to the point where um, he's now hated. It, whereas I assume that Yankee fans uh, get along with you pretty well. Yeah, you know, and I I really uh, have a lot of empathy for uh, for for Steve uh, <laughs> Steve, not as though I really know. Yeah, yeah you guys are best uh, besties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we uh, we hang out at uh, AA meetings together. <laughs> no, uh, so, <laughs> but in his instance, I mean, you really have to feel for the guy because that that ball was legitimately into the stands, uh, and and you know he he could have just been sitting there with his hands behind his back, and and that ball would have you know hit him square in the junk. So, <laughs> I mean, I I really feel as though. It's unfortunate that it happened, but at the same time, I mean, that is by no means a, uh, you know, that, that that's not exactly like a pop-up, uh, you know, outside of third base box that uh, that that you you, it's not that's not a gimme play, um, but 
Yeah, I, I, I certainly can see how that's impacted his life, and, and I suppose I'm very fortunate that uh, that I don't live uh, in, in Baltimore, that I uh, that I really didn't have have it have my event have such a negative impact on my life. Yeah, and you know, it seems that that there's sort of uh, another connection between the two incidents is the reactions of the players. I, I mean, I think that the degree, like Tony Tarasco's anger, and then. Um, you, Fans will notice in the video that Armando Benitez actually runs out to right field as well, yeah. um, which is strange. And but the, the sort of the anger of the player on the field, I think, probably fed into um, the sort of the, the size of the incident. And I think it's the same thing with the barman thing because Moises Alou, if he ha- if he doesn't react, it, you know, in the way that he does, would kind of like you know stamping his feet. And got gesturing yep. a little bit. I think it becomes yeah. at least closer to a non-issue. I don't know how you read it, though. Yeah, I, I think uh, that kind of demonstrative uh, behavior and reaction uh, certainly uh, can uh, can can enrage the fans a little and give them the impression that you know he would have caught that. Uh, and you know, I, I think in the heat of battle and in the heat of competition, that's a natural reaction, and I can certainly understand the reaction of the Orioles uh, as well. Um, but you know, as I said, um, ultimately, you know, in my play for sure, I mean, it's the responsibility of the umpires to uh, coordinate with one another and uh, and decide whether or not they uh, feel as though they have the call. Uh, and given the resources that were available at the time of my game, uh, I would imagine that they made the best call that they felt they could at the time. Yeah. Now, what people may not know about you is that you actually have. Some- some baseball skills yourself. Um, had, had, had. <laughs> I, well, you have had. You've had base, uh, probably better baseball skills. Um, I mean, than you know the majority of American males. Um, I, I know a couple facts about you. Uh, one of them is that uh, you're the all-time hits leader for Wesleyan University, um, and I believe still the all-time hits leader, although. Uh, I think Julian Sonnenfeld is close to you now. Maybe it's like nine behind. He's he's retired as well, so it's safe for another year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you also have done some scouting and, as you mentioned, uh, sort of a baseball camp campering. But so how did how did Wesleyan go down first? I mean, you're a student there, obviously. Uh, does Wesleyan offer baseball scholarships? Was it sort of a or was it sort of an idea that you'd play ball there once you got there? Yeah, so uh, you know, the I, I guess you could say starting in my junior year, my father and I really started to investigate, uh, you know, some of the opportunities uh, you know, from a recruiting standpoint uh, that were available, and uh, I was uh, I was fairly convinced that I was going to go play in the Patriot League uh, for uh, Lehigh University. Uh, had been out there for several recruiting trips. had uh, had a verbal commitment to uh, to coach Sean Leary, uh, and actually had a had sent in my application uh, to uh, to the ED, you know, the early decision uh, uh, file, and uh, I got a uh, I got a letter in the mail uh, from uh, Mark Woodworth uh, at Wesleyan asking me to come up for a recruiting trip uh, towards uh, towards the end of October, and uh, this was you know two weeks before early decision uh, you know uh, was due uh, at all schools, uh, and so I I actually. Just didn't really do much with the paper. Kind of just opened it, left it on the counter, and uh, and went back uh, to my guitar. 
And uh, when my father got home, he said, you know, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Like, <laughs> this is a, this is an outstanding school, and, and you really should. It, it's an hour and a half away. I know we've been on a lot of trips. You know, we had been up to Vermont. We had been down to Virginia. We had been we'd been everywhere. Uh, you know, out to Pennsylvania and such. And and I was pretty much uh, pretty much done with re uh, with recruiting. But we decided to go up and. Uh, you know, it's a it's a beautiful campus. The field's right in the middle of the campus, and and, and certainly its academic reputation uh, is uh, needs no introduction. And um, I decided, just kind of spur of the moment, that yeah, you know what, let's uh, let's pull my ED uh, file from Lehigh and move it to regular admission, and uh, and let's go ahead and, and give this a shot at Wesleyan. There's no scholarship money involved, but. Uh, certainly, uh, you know the the value of the of the education is uh, is worth uh, is worth taking a look and and I knew I'd be a contributor on that team right away. Um, probably same at Lehigh, but uh, I had uh, I called uh, Coach Leary at Lehigh and let him know that I was uh, going to I wasn't so sure about my decision anymore and that I was uh, considering uh, you know Wesleyan University and uh, asked them to please switch my files to. Uh, you know, to, to regular uh, regular decision, and he uh, he kindly let me know that uh, that was not going to be viewed upon <laughs> in such in such a nice light. But uh, I ended up going to Wesleyan and uh, had four great years there. Played the you know got a great education. Uh, had the opportunity to play competitive division uh, division three baseball, and uh, you know uh, got to meet my uh, my now wife. So it was a, it was a great decision in the long run. Yeah, it seems like that would be. That's an awkward decision, or, or I bet that was. Is that was that an awkward phone call with the coach from Lehigh? Because you're just. I mean, at that point, you're 18 years old, and he's a man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know, it's very rare that someone would make the decision to go from playing Division One uh, and have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to make it to be Patriot League champions and, and make it to the NCAA tournament, uh, and to then to go to Division Three and, and play NESCAC baseball uh, at Wesleyan. And I think ultimately the decision paid off because uh, I really had a feeling that even in the best case of uh, situations, uh, had I not gotten hurt and had I continued to develop my skills, I mean, the reality was uh, I was probably a guy that would flame out and, uh, you know, an A-ball somewhere. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I had the best education that I could. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the time I didn't really know why I was making the decision, but, you know, I was – you know, speaking speaking the words and, and filling out the paperwork, and um, you know, it worked out for the best in the end. What was your What was your game like? Uh, I mean, if you were uh, if you had a comp in the major leagues, you know, I mean, obviously it was contact heavy. I'm going to guess. Uh, yeah, I uh, I was a, I was an average hitter uh, that had occasional pop, and I uh, had a lot of uh, had a lot of speed as well. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I was playing in the NECBL for. Uh, Dan Duquette's uh, team, uh, and uh, I blew out my ACL right before my senior year. And uh, Wesleyan's not the type of school that you uh, redshirt a year at. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, not at fifty thousand dollars a year, that's uh, that's not a good decision. Yeah. So I uh, I rehabbed as best I could to be able to get on the field, and uh, I went from a, a center fielder with good range and and good pop and uh, and good uh, good contact skills to a uh, to a third baseman with uh, 
with a hitch in his run, and uh, you know I could still hit the ball. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, from a physical standpoint, it would have been very hard for me to uh, to, to stay durable during a uh, you know during a year of professional ball. So you became an old man like overnight, basically. Yeah, I, I got the, I've got the knee of a 90 year old. So <laughs> I uh, I had it's I actually blew out the ACL. Uh, uh, my senior year in college, and and when I was a sophomore in, in high school, I had uh, broken the, the femur and tibia in that uh, in that leg, and uh, and also blew out the PCL in that leg. So this this knee has uh, nothing left to give except for uh, some rounds of golf every now and then. Now I want to I want to let you go pretty soon, but I want to just if if you would just sort of talk briefly about um, your sort of relationship to baseball after that, and then and then I know you're not doing as much with it now if at all and sort mm-hmm. of what precipitated that decision yeah I uh, when I graduated I uh, was very fortunate to have the opportunity to intern under Peter Gammons um, each year he runs uh, runs a summer internship at the Cape League uh, where you go around from game to game and you compile scouting reports on the players that you think are going to have the, the most impactful careers uh, in the professional uh, scene and so I did that in the summer of 2006. Uh, took my packet to the winter meetings, uh, and through some uh, networking help with uh, with Peter, I was able to land an internship with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, as an advanced scout. Uh, and uh, I was uh, very thrilled at first to get out there, and uh, was very appreciative for the opportunity. Uh, but after after a couple of months, I, I sort of realized that it. Uh, it's a long haul trying to make it uh, in the front office of a Major League Baseball team, and it's definitely not for everybody. <clears throat> and I still maintained a strong passion for the game, uh, but I think in its purest form, which is on the field, uh, and uh, and sort of the behind-the-scenes uh, work in the front office really wasn't for me. Uh, and I uh, moved back to the East Coast and uh, really haven't uh, haven't really been involved in the game much since. But it, uh, it's obviously... Uh done a lot for you and uh, sort of you've, de- you've done a lot for it and certainly you've uh, played a part as one of those stories that I know for me I'll never be able to forget um, <laughs> uh, even if it made me uh, angry at the time and I, I felt the injustice but uh, oh, I'm sorry Carson <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, have, we'll play that out uh, via yeah. the cuffs when, if and when we ever meet um, Absolutely. <laughs> but hey, listen. No, I, I love uh, I love the game. Uh, baseball is a great game. I love uh, I love it in its purest form, and and I'm pretty sure that's what all the followers of Fangraphs feel as well. Um, we love the game for being fans of the game, uh, yeah. and uh, certainly I have a deep appreciation for the statistical uh, value uh, that's that's now available. And uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a huge business, baseball, and. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, and you can't just, you know, make decisions based on your gut feeling. You have to have some kind of uh, some kind of data to support that, and uh, that's why I think, you know, I mean, Fangraphs is just it's the ultimate site for consuming baseball uh, as a fan, and uh, I was uh, real pleased that uh, you know David uh, Appleman provided an introduction uh, for us, and that we've been able to get together and do this. Right. Yeah, I am too, and it's good, and I think uh, it's just a lot of fun uh, catching up with you, and, uh, you know, uh, I guess it's also really nice to know how uh, level-headed you are about the entire situation. It's uh, it's heartening, you know, to find you're not, you're not living in a ditch somewhere because you're, you're <laughs> clinging to this one thing, you know, it's sort of, 
the opposite of what Kornheiser said of you, at least at the time. You know, it's a it's a curious event, something that happened to you, and you've you know you've used it, I guess, you know, to maybe make connections with people, but it's not the center point of your life, which is a nice lesson for for everyone, I think. It's, it's a feel good story all around. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, well, listen, Jeff, uh, it really has been great to talk to you, and uh, we're going to say goodbye to you now, but thank you so much for joining us. Carson, it's been a pleasure. All right, that has been Jeff Mayer. I am and will continue to be Carson Sestouli, and this has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio.